On today's show, I'm going to be talking with singer and guitarist Jake Allen, and he's got a recent album called Affirmation Day. We're going to talk about that, and who knows, maybe touch upon pop music's golden age of the 1990s. So welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks for having me, Kelly. It's good to be on. Hey, I had a quote that I saw on your website that uh, you referred to Pop music's golden 90s era. Is that a, a decade that really influenced you? Um, you know, I grew up in the 90s, so I think uh, whether I like it or not, I'm I'm pretty uh, attached to the, the way that music influenced me uh, during my formidable years. So um, there are, you know, going to naturally be uh, hints of that in in the things I create, um, and it's funny because I'm I, my background as far as the things that I grew up listening to was was mainly progressive music, um, a lot of like Yes and Emerson Lake and Palmer and stuff like that. So um, listening to that type of music in in the landscape of the '90s was a, a kind of interesting contrast as a kid because um, I, I valued a lot of those prog sensibilities but also kind of had this um, natural pull to, to what was happening in, in music at that time to, to also kind of implement pop sensibilities into the things that I was creating. So it made for an interesting um, kind of uh, dichotomy between progressive and pop in my own music. Mm-hmm. Well, what I like about your music, and especially you know, Affirmation Day, is it seems like we don't have as much like pop rock as we used to you know the the genres are so rigid it just seems like you have a style of music that we we need a little more of where i wouldn't say it's um light you still have an edge to it but we don't kind of have these um singer songwriters like trying to think back into the in the 90s like remember duncan chic and barely breathing or even like uh, coincidentally (laughs) I'm I'm a huge Duncan Sheik fan, um, and I I think it's I think it's hilarious that that song was really his only like big big hit and kind of what everybody knows him by. Um, but his entire catalog after that, he continued making records, and he has like ten albums that are all just like spectacular. And it's just kind of a shame that people only know him from that one hit, you know. Hmm. Right, and it was so great back in the day because I remember when that came on the radio, it was like, wow, it it really just came through all the other songs and it really grabbed your attention. Yeah. Yeah, well, on your recent album. Oh, no, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say on Affirmation Day, you, you had a song called On the Run, and I think that's the one that made me think of Duncan. Okay. Yeah, um, I was I – was, it's it's interesting you bring him up because I was listening to a lot of his music um, while I was in Lithuania writing that record. Um, so it was definitely kind of uh, heavy on my mind as far as, um, you know, that, that type of style and that kind of singer-songwriter approach. And it was just me and my acoustic guitar. Uh, I, I went and did a writing retreat um, over there in, in Vilnius. And um, I so I, I only had this kind of limited set of tools with my guitar and, and my looper pedal. Um, and like I said, I was listening to a lot of that type of music. So 
it was uh it just kind of naturally worked worked its way into this particular record well you tour a lot i mean you're you're a global you know artist you you seem to really get i don't know is there any continent you haven't played yet um i have not been to australia <laughs> i'm trying to think of oh or okay. antarctica <laughs> Or Antarctica, <laughs> but I think I've played. Well, for, I think I've played in every other continent. I mean, that's pretty amazing. You seem pretty daring, not not just in your music, but uh, it seems like you're just out there wanting to get as much influence as you can. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the way I see it is, you know, um, not to be cliche, but I guess you only live once, um, at least as the person you are right now. So I want to. I want that person to absorb as much of uh, what's out there as possible. And I've always had a uh, very palpable uh, fear of missing out syndrome. So I, I try to put myself into as many interesting situations um, as I can. Um, and usually that, that ends up leading to a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like one uh, reason for traveling is you've got this um, kind of endorsement with Takamine Guitars where you go, are you like a brand ambassador for them? Um, Yeah, so I hooked up with them back in like 2014, and I'm basically an ambassador and and clinician, so so to speak. So I will go uh, to music stores where they sell Takamine and just kind of um, do these presentations for audiences where I just break down the guitars and why I use them, why they work for me. And, you know, I do a lot of percussive finger style things. And um, the way that those guitars are built is like perfectly tailored to, to what I do, uh, especially in a live setting. So it was really a a nice appropriate um, joining of forces when they took me on and yeah, since then it's it's opened up all these opportunities for me to go all over the world and, and play for them in these different applications and then, you know, you're kind of using those as as ways to branch out and do other things while I'm in those parts of the world. Well, you're in good company because I was on their website and looking at, you know, the artists that they partner with and it it seems like um you know, you, you uh I don't know, do you meet the other people there? Is there some sort of Takamine Brotherhood, where you guys ever intersect? Because it seems like you guys are all pretty passionate about those guitars. Yeah, so basically there are distributors. Um, you know, like with any other product, there's a distributor uh, in any given region that I go and I connect with, and they basically become my liaison and, and sometimes my my surrogate family for for a week or so, and. Um, we basically do the the gigs, the clinics, and then um, we kind of always have some extra time to to go out and and see the places that we're at and do kind of fun things. And so it's uh, it's been a really cool way to build relationships with people uh, all over these these different regions. Um, you know, from Europe to Russia and Asia, it's been cool to um, get to learn about cultures in those places through this kind of camaraderie of Takamini guitars and through the act of having a purpose to be there. And um, it's been really rewarding. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm no expert on guitars, but one thing I've observed is there is something special about guitar stores, especially um, real specialized acoustic guitars. 
And I think for the, you know, it's usually like an owner operator, you know, some guy who's really passionate, probably plays guitar too, but there's such a meeting ground for aspiring musicians, established musicians. I mean, when you were first starting out, would you just like hang out at guitar stores and just soak it all up? Well, actually, funny enough, my dad owned a music store when I was a kid, so I kind of grew up in one. Uh, oh, so wow. I kind of like I, I know I know that world pretty well um, just from from being around it as a kid. Um, but yeah, there are. I mean, there's there's some really amazing, um, you know, in particular acoustic guitar shops that I've I've frequented. Um, and uh there there is a kind of like cult following within them and and these kind of groups that that all get together and nerd out on acoustic guitars and and uh mm-hmm. you know just uh have this kind of camaraderie about them so yeah absolutely very good well i was looking at your uh youtube channel and it's so funny you mentioned percussive, you know, when referring to a guitar. And you had this one live song you performed called Tappy Thang. And when I was listening to it, I thought, wow, this is like, you know, not just a guitar, but this really is, you know, a percussive instrument the way you played it. Because is there a name for that style when you've, you're kind of banging on a little bit and using your full hand? And it was pretty amazing. Yeah, so that's been pretty much dubbed modern finger style guitar um and it was really spearheaded by a player back in the 80s who i'm sure you've heard of named michael hedges um Mm -hmm. he was one of the first guys to really uh make make that that style popular or at least to a a small cult following of people but it really blew up when another player who was highly influenced by michael um had had one of the first videos ever on YouTube, right when YouTube started. He was one of the first 10 videos on there, a guy named Andy McKee. Um, and I remember my dad, he was, since he ran a music store, he would go to the NAMM show, uh, the summer NAMM show in Nashville every year. And one year he came back and he was like raving to me about this guy that he saw playing in the cafeteria. He's like, you got to check this out. It was, it's amazing. And and this was before YouTube. So we got on the internet and, and we found this video This really like, you know, it took like 10 minutes to buffer. And I got to see Andy McKee um, before he was, he was really known by too many people. And I saw what he did with the song Drifting. And it was, it's similar to, um, you know, that style that I play in Tappy Thing. And it was, um, what was amazing to me was not how impressive the, the whole act of, you know, banging on your guitar was, but his sense of melody and harmony and the way that he was able to use uh, alternate tunings and implement, you know, two hands on the neck of the guitar to get these really crazy melodies that you wouldn't be able to do, um, you know, in standard tuning, just playing normally. So that was, you know, Andy was really the guy that, that drew me into expanding my perspectives on acoustic guitar. Um, so I, I owe a lot to him in that sense. Um, and that was, that was really a stepping stone for me into um, expanding my perspectives of harmony and melody as well. Um, so I've kind of, you know, I've taken that approach with the acoustic guitar and as a solo artist, it's a, it's a great, a great thing to have, but I'm a, but I've also planted that 
into um, my sensibilities about production because I'm, I'm a production nerd pretty much first and foremost. I love records. I love sitting down and listening to a record front to back and, and hearing a cohesive body of work that, that paints a, a large picture. Um, and I love that kind of conceptual approach to music. So, um, you know, kind of taking those, those things, those, those um, sensibilities of, of production and, and the acoustic fingerstyle guitar and the progressive stuff, but also these pop sensibilities, I've kind of made this little, you know, sonic mesh of my own that um, it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's not for everybody, um, but it does uh, speak to some people and, and it, and it's effective um, in, in, to me, it's just kind of, a richness between all of these cross sections of influence. Mm -hmm. So funny, you said Michael Hedges, and now I'm just flashing on, I think an album of his from the eighties that I probably had on a cassette tape. Ta -ta -ta. Talk about triggering some memories. Well, it's probably well, aerial also, boundaries. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you you weren't born then, but um, are you at all influenced by like the slap bass style that you know some of the, the funky guitar of the seventies? Remember, you know the, the slap bass was such an innovation. Yeah, well, actually, it's funny because I, I started out playing bass. I was like the first stringed instrument that I picked up. Well, I actually started on keyboards and, and drums, but then. I think I was like 11 years old and I was like, man, I really want to like rock, you know? <laughs> like So, so I ended up getting a bass guitar and getting really into, um, it wasn't like, you know, vintage seventies, eighties slap style stuff, but I did get really into the band Primas and thought that that was just like crazy. Cause I'd never really heard a bass guitar played like that. And, um, and so I was really nerding out on that. And that kind of, that was one of the bands that really, um, kind of shape my approach to rhythm because it's a very rhythmic driven band um, with sometimes very little melody going on, um, but it works. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah, I guess you could say that that is, that is part of the arsenal of, of things that, that shaped um, the way that I play now. Mm -hmm. Well, you put out four full albums. You did an EP in 2009 called Sleep. Then starting, let's see, 2011, you put out an album, Etherica. 2015, one called Rearrangements. 2018, Deviant Motions. And now your latest affirmation day. But going back, I guess your 10-year anniversary for Etherica, I was hearing a song you had on there called Open Space. And tell me if you think this is close. I almost detected a little Santana influence in your guitar playing there. Ah, that's a thing assessment. I've, I have to be honest, I really never listened to Santana, <laughs> but I'm sure there is a roundabout way because I'm sure somebody I do listen to, uh, was highly influenced by Santana. And, um, you know, that's the cool thing about, about, uh, so many artists and bands out there is you could be indirectly influenced by somebody that you've never even heard. Maybe it's because of Santana. I was uh, connecting with a lot of dexterity and just how he effortlessly moves very quickly between the notes. Yeah. No, he's an amazing player. I, I, are you a, do you have a lot of dexterity? Ever. I mean, 
is that, you know, because you're, you're so proficient, and for people who don't know as much just about the technical side of guitar, you know, your percussive elements come through, but you just your fingering and just how I, I think the best guitar players make everything so seamless and effortless. Yeah, well, funny enough, I, I, I mean, I think I do have a a good amount of dexterity for, for the things that I want to communicate, but I do think that there are many, many players who are far beyond me as far as, um, you know, being able to really just um, make the instrument do whatever they want. And, um, and then, you know, as far as theory and things like that, I, I'm, I'm more of a, I'm, I'm an ear guy. I don't, I can't read music. Um, and I don't really uh, lean on theory and, and things like that. I just, I feel, I feel drawn to a certain, you know, chord or melody, and then I just kind of figure it out on my own, um, which is cool in a sense, but it's also, um, you know, if I were able to pair that with, with some more kind of uh, uh, scholarly practices, I think I'd be better off. Um, but yeah, there's, there's guys out there who are just insanely fluid. Um, you know, one of my favorite guitar players is Alan Holdsworth. I don't know if you're hip to him or not, but, um, really great, um, jazz player who is a jazz fusion guy. And he, um, he was, uh, originally wanted to be a horn player. He wanted to play some kind of horn, probably saxophone, I think. Uh, but his parents wouldn't let him get one because they didn't want, that super loud instrument playing throughout their house. So he had to play guitar because that was the only thing that he could pick up and, and play and turn down. And through doing so, he actually started playing the electric guitar like a horn player. So in terms of fluidity, that's a guy who plays so fluidly um, in, a, in a way that is totally alien to anybody else who plays guitar. He just has, he lives in this own world of, um, you know, this kind of like horn player approaches the guitar. It's just really, really amazing. So, I mean, players like that, you know, I, I look up to them and, and um, I, you know, take things, I absorb things from them here and there. Um, but I definitely, I'm not one to sit down and um, dissect uh, a certain guitar part and figure and figure out how somebody did it. Um, I just, I kind of use my time in other ways. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to, you know, the golden 90s era, which uh, the early 90s especially dominated by grunge, but then also just how that evolved and influenced, you know, all of pop music. But, you know, not all of the grunge was so hard-edged. And when I was listening to On the Run, I kind of heard a little bit of the Posies. Remember, remember that group from the 90s? Uh, do they have any major hits that I would know? Because the band name isn't ringing a bell off the top of my head. They were always kind of bubbling under the surface. They were grouped with the Northwest Plunge. But I don't know. Well, now you've got some homework. Listen to, like, uh, the Posies frosting on the beater. I guarantee you'll fall in love with it. But I, I think it was, it was part of uh, your vocal that kind of evoked that and just sort of the mood. But I, I think the other thing I like is that we just don't have enough um, – I'm not going to say mellow music, but music that kind of has a lyrical quality, but still a rock edge, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what, what are you hoping to do, like, with with your vocals and in your music? Because, you know, your songs actually have a, some pretty potent lyrics to them. 
I mean, on the run, I don't, I don't know if, uh, you know, what came first, that music video or the, you know, the song or, you know, the story in your mind, but, you know, that packed kind of a political and a social punch in that, you know, with uh, the bank robbery, the commune, the politician. I mean, it sounds like you've you've got a lot in your mind. Yeah, well, I mean, going back to the uh, fear of missing out, <laughs> uh, I think that those are all kind of manifestations of that quality within me. Um so, you know, it's I mean the music video is obviously about a a guy and his partner playing all of these different roles and um you know, kind of connishly getting what they want out of people. Um so it's just kind of a um I think it's a a representation of the jumping around that I tend to do. I mean, cuz you know, as a musician, you have to wear a whole lot of different hats and um, especially one who's a solo person, you know, with this kind of entrepreneurial um, aim. Uh, so I've, I've definitely had to be a lot of different people. And I've always, like I said, I mean, I have this kind of fear of missing out. And, and, it, and it sometimes leads to things that aren't necessarily healthy. Um, and it, it leads to some some weird contrast in, in relationships and things like that. And I'm completely aware of it. Um, I'm definitely not a saint by any means. Um, but I, I, you know, my goal as a musician, um, as an artist, is to document my life through through my vocation. So everything, you know, in that song, in that music video are kind of um, symbolically you know, to me anyways, they, they take on, they take on a, uh, a caricature of something that's happening within me. Um, and the cool thing about music is, you know, that can be, that can be translated completely different to anybody who listens to it. And that's totally fine by me. If, if nobody gets what I'm trying to say, but they get something else that's, uh, that makes it all the more rich to me. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of years before, um, I think it was from Deviant Motion's album, you did a video to a song called If You Fall Apart, and very artistic. I mean, there was so much care in the art direction, the look of it, just the sensitivity of it, the, you know, with the dancer and the painter. I mean, were you commenting on just the plight of the artist in, in that video? Yeah, I mean, to an extent, it's it's basically, you know, kind of revolves around the um, the the weird dichotomy between art as a spiritual practice and art as a uh, a social um, or kind of uh, economic endeavor. Um, people, you know, try to people try to make their art. Uh, pay for their lives and and they put a lot of investment into it and they put so much of themselves into it and oftentimes it doesn't work and oftentimes they get they get torn down um by failures or by other people and um and that that video was kind of supposed to be um an homage to that idea um of of kind of trying to keep art pure and keep it as something that is is fun and playful and and feeds your soul 
in a way that uh, doesn't necessarily need to pay the bills or need to make you a superstar. It, it's uh, it's a very personal thing and it's very sacred. And I think it should be held on to that. It should be held on to in that way. Um, but I mean, I slip into it all the time. My my life is, you know, my my living is different forms of making music. So it's really easy to blur the lines between something that is, um, uh, you know, like a spiritual practice and something that is monetizable. So, yeah, that video to me is just kind of a um, a uh, reminder of trying to keep yourself pure in what you're doing and, and not take yourself so seriously, even though it's a very serious video. Well, there's a very strong visual in it. You know, the different artists, you know, you, the singer, I think there's a, a writer with an old-fashioned typewriter, the dancer, the painter. And then there was this faceless audience, and they would put their hands out and ready to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And it seems like they're all giving the thumbs down. And was that just your commentary on almost like Internet trolls, you know, just people, these faceless people out there? who just want to drag other people down on. Um, yeah, to an extent. I mean, I think it's um I think it's a representation of really any audience and it's and it's really more about the fear inside those artists of being um, you know, dragged through the dirt and you know, judged by these these seemingly faceless um audiences. Um so yeah, I guess you could you could include internet trolls in there. You can in- include people in your close circle. Um, you know, some of my best friends, for example, some of the people that I associate with the most do not like my music. They don't get it, and it's totally fine. Like I've gotten to a point in my life now where it's like it can roll off my shoulders within two seconds now. I used to get a little bit, you know, like oh well, come on, like, <laughs> and now it's just like you know I understand that people have different tastes. Music is subjective. Um, not everybody is going to understand what you're doing, um, and it's not going to speak as deeply to everybody else as it does to you. Um, it's a very personal thing. And sometimes when it does, and sometimes when people get what you're doing, even if it's just one person, that's that's enough of a payoff for me to keep going and um, to, you know, kind of, you know, I've had to develop a thick skin as as all artists do and um, do art because you have a very deep personal relationship with creativity and not because you want to get uh, 10,000 likes on a Facebook video. Um, so there's a, there's a very real balancing act that you have to do between um, catering to something that is really profound and really amazing, the fact that we even get to be creative, and, um, you know, kind of shielding yourself from the vanity that can come with that. Isn't that part of the value of, of traveling so extensively is you have your chances of you know, building an audience. And I'm just curious, you know, what are some of the unexpected places around the world where people have really caught on to your work? Um, that's funny you say that because I was just thinking about Moscow the other day I had gone to Moscow to do a Takamine clinic and I've wanted to go back really bad since then because I mean obviously I'd never played there before it's it's a 
kind of a place I never thought I would go play. Um, but when I got to the gig, there were a bunch of people there um, in the audience who had done a bunch of research on me and like printed off like photos of me from the internet and wanted me to like sign them. And um, I had a uh, translator with me who was, who was translating uh, between me and the audience after the show. And they were asking like really deeply probing, like awesome questions. And I was like, man, this is like, this is some next level uh, fanism here. And I kind of really want to come back to Moscow and play more because the the people there i mean they seem very receptive and and very excited um and i don't know if that has something to do with me being an american or um or if that's just the nature of um the russian audiences or or not but that was one place in particular that i was just like ah, i kind of want to come back here and and play more for these people you know but obviously it's a it's a tough place to get to especially right now yeah well, we're going to wrap up in a little bit, but first I want to make sure people know where to find you and your music online. Yeah, so um, my primary website is jakeallenmusic.com, and my Facebook is facebook.com slash jakeallenmusic. And then on Instagram, if you want to follow me, it's jake underscore allen underscore music. And allen in all of those is spelled A-L-L-E-N. Excellent. And so 2021, hopefully you'll be able to travel more, tour, um, any plans for recording? Um, Yeah, so I am slowly starting to develop some ideas for the next record, um, which I'm getting pretty excited about. Um, And uh, in the meantime, I have some other kind of irons in the fire here. I'm actually doing... um, a project right now with uh, one of the former drummers of Nine Inch Nails, uh, Jerome Dillon, so uh, which is amazing to me oh because my. he was um, a huge, huge idol of mine growing up. So I love Nine Inch Nails. Um, so him and I are working on a couple of various projects right now that I'm very excited about. And um, yeah, a couple of uh, client things in the studio, you know, things I'm doing some production work on the side right now to kind of make up for not playing gigs. Um, so I'm actually available for hire right now. Um, but yeah, I hope to get out and play as soon as, as soon as physically possible. And um, hopefully the whole world can get back to playing and enjoying live shows regularly again soon. Well, if you work from the, uh, the drummer from nine inch nails, I wonder if he'll bring any of his, their video influences. Cause boy, oh boy, want to talk, Back in the 90s and um, being influenced, they had some of the most vivid music videos back in the day. Absolutely. Um, And they've inspired me a lot, actually. I was just talking with the uh, director who who directed um, that video for it, and um, he was just noting how many Nine Nine Inch Nails music video references I sent him when we started working together. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I kind of think their videos were amazing. (laughs) Well, there's another thing I always ask people, because I want people listening to this to, you know, get turned on to you or try you out. But it's my favorite question. If you like this artist, you will like Jake Allen. So what do you think are good starting points? Like if people like these other artists or bands, they'll like your music. Mm. 
That's that's a good question. Um, I would say, uh, well, I mean, obviously we talked about Duncan Sheik a little bit, um, but there's, I mean, there's also, I don't know, there's so many things within it. It's just kind of this stew. So, I mean, people, a lot of people who like progressive music uh, tend to resonate with what I do. Um, and a lot of people who like acoustic fingerstyle guitar kind of pick up on those things. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to pigeonhole what it is, um, which is good and bad. Um, but I think anybody who, who can appreciate, um, somebody really digging deep and and trying to be authentic, hopefully, can pick it up in in my music i'd like to think <laughs> all right final question i used to ask people if you could open for any other artists who would it be but i'm going to elevate you from that not not just open but if you could create your own little tour your own little Lollapalooza, who are the other artists you would like to assemble and tour with wow and you're putting me on the spot now. Um, well, <laughs> as far as live bands go, I think one of my favorite live bands, just simply because they're incredible to watch live, is uh, a band called Umphreys McGee. Um, I think they, they provide a really great, I mean, their their whole approach is based around live shows. Um, so it'd be an honor. I, I have actually played on the front end of, of one of their shows once um, with while I was in a band called The Accidentals. Um, but I would say Umphreys McGee would be up there. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be, if I'm trying to round it out by genres, that would be the hard part because most of my favorite bands are from all different genres. We'll say Umphreys McGee and yes, and I'll open the show acoustically and then go sit in the audience. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. You mean with John Anderson? Yes, of course. Oh my God. Are they still alive? Uh, most of them are. Um, it's funny, I was actually just watching some Yes online a minute ago. Uh, Chris Squire, their bass player, pretty much the founding member of the band, he passed away a few years ago. But everybody else in the band is still alive. A um, couple of them barely. Okay. <laughs> but uh, maybe but yeah, John when they actually... come out. Well, when they come out to do Owner of a Lonely Heart, they can bring you on stage to play bass for that. <laughs> I would be honored. I would be honored to play any instrument with them on any song. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Jake. And uh, you've got your homework. When we hang up, you're going to go online and listen to the Posies Frosting on the Beaters album in its entirety. But otherwise, um, I, I just really um, enjoyed your music and I really encourage people to seek you out online. 